Hello, my name is David Malone. And my name's Ian Stroud. This is Hyperland. Today we've got my son Ian, who um, talked to us before about hydrogen, and he promised he'd come back and give us an update. And Ian, thanks for coming back. Is it the report you talked about last time has actually now been published, hasn't it? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me back. Um, quite soon, but a lot changes in the hydrogen space. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's good to keep on top of things. Last time we, we mentioned this, this report that was going to come out from the Royal Society uh, on uh, large-scale electricity storage. Before we get into sort of the heavy stuff, there, there was a, a little thing that I, I kind of... I understood from last time, but I just... There was some connection that wasn't made, and that's when we were talking about balancing the grid. Yes. That I always thought that the, the windmill turbine things, that they weren't used when it wasn't windy. You know, it was a bit of a joke that it was the wrong kind of wind. But you were saying... <laughs> the, they Only had, English turbines could have the wrong kind of wind. I know, I know, to go with the wrong type of leaves. But, um, but you were sort of saying, no, they're turned off when the balancing of the grid which yes. is it all makes sense now but it was just you know after we spoke and i was like oh god i'm, I'm you know <laughs> then you start going okay well if you leave them turning and they can produce electricity that we can turn to hydrogen and then we can store it yeah that makes sense and I, I, it was just a simple thing that i i understood but i didn't quite make all the the connections yeah, well, that's that's good. I mean, you don't really think you just sort of think I can plug things into the wall yeah. and I have electricity. Well, you know where it comes from, but yeah. how how that's managed, uh, you know, is there just a big, big um, reservoir of energy that we just draw from? It's, <laughs> it's, not, what, it's not, not quite that simple. Yeah, no, I'll tell you what, I'll shut up and let you get on with some heavy lifting and fill me in, fill me in about aluminium as much as you want. <laughs> so I did, I did actually look that up. Um, so the aluminium thing, it's, you were, you were onto something correct. Right. Oh, okay. there, uh, you go, there, there you go. There you go uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not something I'd come across. Uh, so it, you, it made you, his you day. Up to me on that one. Yeah. Um, it's Ian Malone, 500 Ian Stroud. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the, where the hydrogen comes into aluminium is in, um, I think it's in production of aluminium. Right. Somewhere in this process, which I'm nowhere an expert on, um, but somewhere in there, hydrogen is produced as a as a byproduct, and and I think it's just it's a bit like the um, making the sodium hydroxide and the chloral alkali process. They they just get rid of it because the thing they're mainly interested in is is the is the aluminium itself is, is the end product, and and as yeah. you were sort of saying, you know, hydrogen might might be made in a lot of processes, but economically, yeah. it's not. All this waste of hydrogen is beginning to worry me because hydrogen's light enough that it doesn't actually stay in Earth orbit. It does actually leach away. Oh. We're not going to run out, are we? <laughs> <laughs> we, sh we shouldn't do. We have a lot of water. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, I feel better now. <laughs> however, um, so this, this, was, oh. this was kind of my um, mental picture of this before I came across the fact that um, hydrogen is actually uh, slightly a greenhouse gas. Oh right, mm. yeah. So this is something I wasn't aware of. It's yeah, it's it's 
not actually that great to be uh, releasing lots of it into the environment. Well, that more reason to capture it. It's, it's no reason to not go down the hydrogen route. It's definitely worse to just kick out CO2 as a byproduct from combustion. Yeah. But being aware of leaks and uh, and this kind of thing is, is definitely something to be concerned with. But then at some point, you sort of think that the, the production of hydrogen through various byproducts of other productions, that at some point it might be worth them capturing smaller amounts of hydrogen. It, it probably it might well be, yeah. Especially if there's the infrastructure around uh, transporting it and using it yeah. uh, for for other uh, other applications, then yeah, it might actually become viable for for some of these processes to use it. It's quite funny, um, and a good example of this is actually with uh, electrolysis, um, but it's where uh, electrolyzers are used on the International Space Station, um, and up there they're used to produce oxygen yeah. for breathing and then they they don't really care too much about the hydrogen i mean they, i'm sure they use it for something but it's mainly about the oxygen yeah <laughs> we've done our usual and we've wandered all over the place that's um, good good, good. I like that's this. good yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah why why stray from the wide path we've been lost on all this time <laughs> getting back to the royal society yeah <laughs> <laughs> did it say what you thought it was going to say Ian? It did, yeah. Uh, it, it said pretty much what uh, Professor um, Chris Llewellyn, Llewellyn Smith um, explained in the in the uh, lecture that I went to, yeah. um, and the the big headline conclusion was that hydrogen stored in solution mine salt caverns will be the most uh, the cheapest way to yeah. store electricity on a on a large scale. Me large scale meaning tens of terawatt hours yeah. of electricity. So yeah, I mean that's that's a big a big statement that hopefully the government will hear and and well, lots of people will hear and um, people will start building things or at least coming up with plans. Yeah, it's sort of said in order to meet GB's need in 2050, construction of large hydrogen stores must begin in the near future. What is what is the near future? It's not going to be tomorrow. The, but... Well, I mean the the reports basically says get started ASAP. Um, there's not there's not a you know it's going to take a long time to build that so there's yeah maybe hs2 has has, has built some tunnels and things we could use <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not a bad point yeah, they're round bit. as well you could they're quite good as a pressure vessel yeah yeah there you go i might suggest <laughs> that to my local mp <laughs> what i don't understand is royal society reports how much weight do they carry? Because I've made several films where there have been committees of scientists who feed into uh, policy decisions, but the feed into seems to be mostly a euphemism for, yeah, yeah, we heard you, but we're not going to take any notice. I mean, yeah, I I don't know how impactful they are. I mean, they're they're very old and very reputable organisation, but they're not the government themselves and. Mm. But yeah, and there, but they don't what, actually have power. There wasn't anybody from the government at the meeting you were at. No, and I, I I'm not really in the right circles to know mm. how this report was received. Um, I guess we'll see if the, the the government publishes this UK hydrogen strategy, and we'll see if that changes as it as it evolves over the coming years. 
But I mean, the people that were at that meeting, mm. part of their point was we needed to get on with this, that this wasn't just some sort of after dinner chat about something which we might get round to in 50 years time. The impression that you gave us of that meeting was that they were saying, this is not only what we should be doing, but we need to be doing it now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. It was more of an academic discussion, but centered on policy yeah. rather than uh, the science itself as much. Or maybe we need to set up a, a lobby group. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's what they were kind of saying needed to be done because industry interests have, they have huge lobbies, don't they? Yeah. Like the oil industry, for example. Of and then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and this industry is still getting going, so it's not like it has huge uh, funding behind it, I suppose. Yeah. Do, do, does the expansion, which has been in the news recently, of the UK's stock of wind farms, the fact that that is now growing, isn't it the case now that the first part of the Dogger um, bank has come online? Yeah, I think it was um, It was on the 7th of October that they turned on the first turbine. I think it, I'm not sure if it's more than one, but anyway, this one turbine mm. <laughs> can produce... Was it uh, enough energy to power a home for two days with just one rotation? Wow. Yes, because they're massive, these blades. Aren't, <laughs> yeah. aren't the blades 200 metres across or something? Yeah, the, the, the wingspan of the thing is like 200 metres. Um, yeah, because yeah, so occasionally we see them being transported offshore here. <laughs> um, you can sit at my window and look out and you see these ships going by with this long fin perched on the top of it you think oh what the hell is that and it turns out it's one of those blades <laughs> yeah they're, they're quite impressive and i think that uh, i was reading that's a problem that the industry has been having is how quickly they've been expanding the size of these turbines um and the the various bits of the supply chain can't really keep up with the the changes in size um yeah so you know ha having a factory that's big enough to make these things and then how do you transport that are they made yeah. out of aluminium <laughs> mm, it's a good question i'm not sure what they're made of i think they're i think He's they're pulling your polymer leg. composites it's just that, that david told me <laughs> no, to sell all my shares in aluminium last time yeah 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 i have done so aluminium is nice and light it is yeah <laughs> um all right but it, my my question was whether this beginning to come online, does this add to the possibility of the UK actually taking the hydrogen future seriously, given given the link that you were explaining between, yeah. you, you know, wind turbines as a, as a way of using renewable power to drive the process which creates hydrogen? Yeah, I think they are because, well, um, just from the perspective of energy storage, the more uh, wind and solar you have in your energy mix, then the more important balancing the grid becomes. And, and then you need to, to, to balance the grid, you need something flexible. Um, so whether that's power that you can turn on and off easily, like we do at the minute with using a natural gas um, power station, or the hydrogen, or, uh, no. the hydrogen yeah. that would, would, would fit that very nicely. So yeah, I, I guess it's, it's Dogger Bank coming on is... Um, following the right trajectory of bringing more wind power online, I think we just need to need to go further. You know, I was looking at a comparison between the Dogger Bank project and, say, Hinkley C, the, the nuclear plant, and they're they're kind of they're kind of comparable. 
So Dogger Bank will have a final installed capacity of 3.6 gigawatts. So it would, wouldn't be generating all of that all of the time. It, it depends on on the wind, obviously. Yeah. But um, Hinkley uh, is going to be 3.2 gigawatts. So we're, we're similar similar figures there. Mm. Um, and then uh, I think the I, I couldn't quite find the exact figures for the Dogger Bank, but for the Hinkley, it's what, 33 billion or something like this now. Um, and it's it's taking way more than ten years to to build, wow. um, and then and then you've got the whole decommissioning later on. I guess we don't want to get too into nuclear, but um, it just seems like the the wind is is just much more deployable, and the um, yeah, just it's, it's hard mean, it to would, see why you'd go for for a different option. Really, I I can't understand it at all because you can get the wind power set up much much more quickly, mm. and I mean, you have very few, if any, safety concerns while it's running. You know, wind turbines, they might fall over, but they're not going to melt down and spray you know, um, nuclear particles over Europe. And there's no comparison with the decommissioning costs. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, the decommissioning costs of Hinkley will be extraordinary. It's, it's a good old chunk of change on decommissioning our current... Um, nuclear power plants which are being decommissioned you know to, to tens of millions yeah um and this that cost is at least sort of 80 years every mm. single year you've got to pay that uh and the plant's not generating any electricity wow so yeah and then the dogger bank by comparison the project is a way is quite a long way off being finished but they're able to turn the first wind turbine on as soon as that's ready, and they can just keep bringing them on as as they need. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. It just makes a lot more sense. And and if I remember rightly, there's another um, lot of turbines that are planned off the coast of Kent, and I seem to remember somewhere that reading that the government was pulling back on its funding, which makes no can, sense at all. I can believe it, but yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't for the life of me fathom what the nuclear part of that is. I mean, what the justification is, because it, it, I mean, other than they could say, well, that's how we want to balance the grid. That's going to be what we turn on and off. But you can't turn. Mm. No, and that this is one thing that the report brings up is the fact that the more uh, introducing nuclear into the mix actually drives up your cost of electricity per okay. unit. Right. Uh, um, so you're better off having more renewables than storage rather than having uh, nuclear. And I guess people see nuclear as once it's there, it generates a, a lot of power and it's all always on. Yeah, uh, It's very reliable. But if you can get the right combination of renewables and storage, then I think that solves your reliability problem, really. Yeah. And then we don't have any kind of risk of Fukushima or... Yeah, and also it, it it's um it's good from an energy security perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the wind blows in the UK and you you use it here and you make your hydrogen here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, relying it, on uranium being imported or yeah, you don't. You, that's right. You don't have to worry about where it's coming from and who owns the uranium. You don't have to worry about safety hazards of you know an immense scale while you're running it, and you don't have to worry about decades of decommissioning costs. When you stack all of those things up, you think, what are they playing at with nuclear? I really don't get it. 
Yeah. If you need, if you need to, if you say, fine, well, we're still going to need something you can balance the grid with. Fine, use natural gas for that if you have to. Yeah. You know, if if you haven't got around to building your storage caverns, because mm. if they want to have a completely renewable grid that can balance from renewable rather than using nuclear or gas, then it's not enough to build the wind turbines. You have to also build your your great big storage, hydrogen storage, don't you? Because that's what's going to balance it. Yes. I sort of wonder with the just the last point on the nuclear or why they go for it anyway. I can imagine there's quite a lobby, but I also wonder if it's one of those things that we we do have um, a fairly sizable nuclear industry. You know, we trained a lot of people in that area. So I wonder if it's part of it is just wanting to support that as a as an industry mm -hmm. sort of regardless of how useful or effective it is um in the same way that um, um that we we've sort of done with manufacturing and in some cases like with steel yeah i was gonna <laughs> that's the thing that was on my mind is kind of like do i mention steel <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of industries that i don't think the government has supported um i wonder whether the the nuclear one would be one of them. The other part of the hydrogen story we, we did talk about was um, what role it might have in transport. Yes. Yeah, that was a big area that we missed last time. Yeah. Well, I don't think we missed it. I, I mean, there was enough to be taken in, but a lot of people I've spoken to since have all gone, oh, yeah, well, what about cars? And I'm like, well, uh, I'll ask Ian next time he's on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the question that everyone has. They say, oh, do I, you know, battery car versus hydrogen car yeah um and it is it, it's not a question that there's a straightforward answer for um i don't think there's a lot of things to take into account i mean in, in terms in, in terms of being realistic um in this country it certainly seems to me that we're going down a, a electric uh, battery electric vehicles route for certainly all light duty uh, uh vehicles so yeah. you know, cars and um, small vans and all of this kind of thing um, and then there's a question on whether the hydrogen will become involved for uh, the heavy duty vehicles so your trucks and um, I don't know, construction equipment and buses. Um, these kind of things buses potentially as well yeah. and so the reason for for that um, would be the batteries don't necessarily have the energy density and the to be able to store enough energy um, for uh, a large um, high power application uh, and secondly the you want to be able to have your truck or your bus uh, running pretty much as much as possible yeah. you don't want it sat charging somewhere um, so but both of these things in batteries um, fast charging and high energy density are definitely things that are solvable and may well get solved in um, in coming years so yeah uh, it doesn't certainly doesn't rule that out the other thing that i'd say about comparing hydrogens and hydrogen and batteries is people talk about efficiency a lot yeah. and they say so going from electricity which is what we're starting with um and you want to power you want to move your car around if you do that via a battery it's uh, 90 something percent efficient uh, it's it's really efficient to yeah. charge a battery and then discharge it into your motor. And if you go via hydrogen, you have to uh, electrolyze water, so that's 18 to 40 something percent efficient. I, I 
yeah. as far as I'm aware. And then, then you've got your hydrogen, and then you have to put that into a fuel cell, um, which is about 60% efficient. Um, and then that, that you get your electricity back to power your motor. Yeah. So it's a lot less electrically efficient to use a fuel cell system than in a battery system. But what doesn't get, what you're not counting for in that is the sort of the whole life cycle of the vehicle. You know, what does it take to actually make um, a, a battery electric vehicle yeah. versus a, a fuel cell vehicle? Uh, and in terms of a, a mineral efficiency of the, the resources and energy that's required to, to make, a, um, make a big battery pack, is a lot more than for a fuel cell. Yeah. I think um, Toyota, I mean, you sort of expect them to be in, in favor of the fuel cells since they sell fuel cell cars, but yeah. they did a, ni a nice piece of research um, on, on the, comparing these uh, these mineral efficiencies and a, I guess a yeah more full life cycle assessment. And, but also, I mean, at the, at the moment, where is the electricity that they are using to charge up the batteries? But also on the other side of it is... You talk about the manufacture of the battery, but then how long does the battery last for, and what happens to the battery at the end of its life? Is is can it be repurposed? Yeah, so two very very good questions. The point of where your electricity is coming from when you're charging it up, it's yeah. If you don't have renewable electricity in your grid, then yeah, using an electric vehicle, you're not you're not saving the planet. No. Um, you are improving air quality. I will make that point. Right. Um, but that's air. Looking at, at a, a lot of news seems to confuse um, looking at air quality and um, climate change, uh, and they sort of muddle these two things. Yeah. So yeah, you need to have um, renewable electricity to charge your car. Also, with the hydrogen, where does that come from? If you're not producing that from electrolysis powered by renewable electricity, you're you're probably doing doing a worse damage um, by by using grey hydrogen if you're putting that in a fuel cell. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you don't want to do that either. Yeah, true. So yeah, so fixing those infrastructure problems is 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 going to do more to help the environment than whether you buy an electric car today or, or not. And the, and the lifestyle yeah. of the, the life cycle of the battery. Yeah, the, the life cycle of the battery. That's that is quite an interesting one. Um, I'm not I'm not a battery scientist myself, but I work in a group where they they do a lot of uh, lot of battery research. Yeah. Um. And there's a interesting character in uh, in Canada, um, Jeff Darn. Uh, he's a professor there. He worked with Tesla quite a bit. Right. But uh, he's his research has been very recently been very focused on um, improving the yeah improving the lifetime of the battery how many cycles can it do without degrading yeah and he put out a, a paper at one point saying this million mile battery or something like this that would last last for 100 years wow based on these materials that they've made i don't know exactly what the costs of implementing that in a real system are or how feasible that is but you do sort of wonder that if a technology like that was even feasible would the battery manufacturers and the car companies even want to use that because uh, <laughs> if you're if you're going to make a battery that lasts uh, lasts 100 years then you're yeah. not going to sell many cars are you no um no. so yeah it does seem like it does seem like that's less of a question of the science maybe and more of a question of yeah what, what, what's the people choose to be made yeah whether they pass on all the advantages 
from the manufacturers now that's a different point and as you say it it, it, it put those things together and it, it does begin i think to argue that you can't leave this to the free market because there's there's reasons why the market will not use certain solutions yes um and mind you having said I mean, that when you look at nuclear there's reasons why governments won't use certain solutions <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but but on the on the point of the, the free market if you look at um consumer electronics they sell you a mobile phone and it has a battery in it yeah uh, and the battery is effectively a consumable it's not it's the the, the phone technology will last way longer than the battery yeah. the battery has a fixed lifespan but you're expected to just go and buy a new phone well that's um, because or the, a new laptop or a new electric bicycle yeah that's because and, the, the, all the the apps and things that they put out purposefully make whatever you've got defunct in terms of i can't use this anymore because it's not being uh, updated that's not about the material and the battery yeah i mean i mean that is a point that the from the computer side of things that the they um build software which requires more more power right computing power but even before that is problematic your phone battery will probably only last you um I think typically is about two to three years. Right. And the hardware, right, why it's in the phone and even being compatible with software, it can be way longer than that. I mean, yeah. Um, and, and you can get a battery replacement, but it's not an easy thing to do. And it's only, it's only now that the EU are bringing in this right to repair um, yeah. legislation, mm -hmm. which will enforce um, all uh, phone makers to have user replaceable um batteries so for any lay person to be able to do that oh that's cool. um, and you and you and the, the only reason they haven't done that is because they want to sell more phones so yeah I, I, you can see a similar how a similar thing could exist for why they wouldn't want to bring in uh, a technology which makes batteries last longer yeah it, it does say that you've we've got the possibility of hydrogen as an essential part of our energy policy and our energy use but sort of on both sides of of the hydrogen there are problems like mm. will we build the infrastructure that allows our energy consumption to be all renewable if, if we don't build the salt caverns to store the hydrogen and we don't have the kind of technology that you're working on to give us the ability to split water fairly efficiently if we don't have all of that, then having wind turbines will always have to sit alongside burning gas or oil or coal or nuclear as a way of balancing the grid. And on the other side, if we don't sort out the way that we account for the end of life of products, then they're not going to improve either. If it's still, if we make it so that it's still not a cost for companies to produce batteries that don't last long and are full of rather toxic heavy metals which then just get thrown in a landfill and then they'll continue to yeah um and then the whole business of where did we get the electricity in the middle is sandwiched between two other problems <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I i think i think that is the issue with um with batteries is that the the long-term 
how this is going to work hasn't really been worked out. It's the technology is further ahead in in being implemented in vehicles, whereas less so with fuel cells. Yeah, but what happens but, to all of those Tesla batteries or batteries? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, people are working. There must yeah, be I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of them already. Yeah, uh, recycling is a is a big area of research. Battery recycling. Is there a big battery mountain somewhere, or do we just ship them off to parts unknown and pretend that they've been recycled the way we do? I, I feel I feel like there probably is an element of that, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know for sure. No. Okay. Send them all to Rwanda. That's the that's yeah. what I say. Um, but in terms of uh, the other thing that you pointed out before was was investment, and we're not going to mm. get investment until these you know the ovens and the boilers and things like that actually come online. So although the technology's getting closer, there, yeah. there still needs to be. Is is has there anything changed in the investment side of it in terms of companies willing to? um put the money where their mouth is i suppose so i, I can't i can't give you any examples of specific um deals or, or anything yeah. like that but what i do know is that um governments are using targets for uh not just a production of hydrogen or uh so production capacity yeah. um but also industrial targets for industries using hydrogen right um, so trying to incentivize companies to use the hydrogen and incorporate that into their processes. Well, it's 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 interesting that you touched on steel before because that was the, the last thing I heard was about the sort of hydrogen steel. Um, yeah. In in Wales, South Wales, that they were looking at the green. Are they? Uh, well, it it was the money that was going to Tata at the time, right? To to do all the levels of steel to be able to manufacture different levels of steel and i didn't even realize there were different levels of steel but um <laughs> that whether that hydrogen could do that and and i think the government weren't investing enough in the fact that they could get hydrogen based mm. uh furnaces right i mean that is but trying to use hydrogen in steel making is definitely something that people talk about a lot yeah I, I don't really know how that works exactly. The real question is how you produce the hydrogen, because if you're making grey hydrogen, then the answer to whether you should use hydrogen in steel making is definitely yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 the point is using that as a vehicle to uh, to um, stimulate more capacity being um, brought online for. Well, I'm mean, talking um, of green of investment. I mean, you're in one of the UK's larger research groups at UCL. Mm. What kind of level of investment is the government providing for basic research into hydrogen? Because it's all very well, everyone, you know, all of us going, oh, yeah, we've got hydrogen fuel cells for cars and we're going to have wind turbines in the dogger bank. But is the government actually putting any money into research or are they just sort of doing what the UK governments usually do which is just to talk about it I think I think they're doing a lot of um they're doing a lot of talking about it to be honest uh, <laughs> so my they are they are putting some money in they, they definitely are but it definitely still feels that there's a much more investment into the battery kind of research 
compared to the, the the hydrogen research. And I don't know if that's just carrying over from the 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 big interest that there was in in batteries and, and still largely is, or um, yeah, because because I I starting my PhD. Um, there was a lot of people very excited saying, yeah, there's going to be so much funding coming into electrolyzers. And this is, yeah, the really hot area, Yeah, um, which it is. And there is lots of funding going into, it seems, uh, startup companies. But I'm not sure about, about the research so much. I, I certainly haven't felt it. Yeah. Mm. Are other countries, to your knowledge, putting in more research effort? Or do you not know that? Uh, definitely, definitely. We're by no means <laughs> a leader. Um, so Germany is uh, is a really re going really hard on the the hydrogen. I don't know how many um, millions or billions they're putting into it, but I know that they're trying to um, bring people in to work uh, who are who have expertise um, from overseas. I mean, they were trying to encourage people from from here, for example. So they're, they're they've got lots of money, but they uh, they need to direct it somewhere, and it seems like. Each region in Germany has has its own plan around around this whole area. So, mm. yeah. Well, they're they're also one of the biggest producers of wind turbines in Europe. I think they are the biggest producer, aren't they? Um, um, and Maybe. Siemens is involved with the turbine creation as well. Yeah, it, it and, does... and they're involved with the hydrogen. All <laughs> ah, right. I mean, the, the picture you paint is we've we've got academics organising their own meeting. And being, and bringing to those meetings, the one you were at, a lot of research and a lot of expertise, and saying, look, we can already tell you the broad outlines of what we have to do, based on the science. And as you said, industry is already circling around, saying we would invest in this if we knew we were going to get some kind of stability from government. But no one wants to put a billion into something and then find the government goes, ah, oh, no thanks. Mm -hmm. So. Is it the case, which seems to be typical of of this country, that it's the government, whichever Rosetta it is, that either doesn't know or doesn't care? Yeah, I think I think so. That's certainly the impression compared to countries like Germany, where there is a much more heavy government involvement. Um, and well, yeah, what, it's. It, if you give us the name of the the, the, the high-level um, civil servants or the politicians that need to hear this, we'll we'll see if we can contact them, me and Ian, and uh, and <laughs> see if we can get them to come on. And then if they agree, we'll get you one, and you can uh, you can tell them the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I guess a lot of it will be in the um, this uh, Department for Energy Security and Net Zero, uh, which which was. Uh, renamed from from something else recently so i guess those guys need to need to get on to why is it that the other countries invest money and we change the names on the oh, <laughs> oh, i know yeah well it's funny you mentioned one billion david because it's it's actually sweden have raised i think it's one billion euros for a one gigawatt electrolyzer in green steel Oh, is that right? Yeah. Is that connected to the their big company Vattenfall? I've no idea, mate. <laughs> okay. All right. No. Well, Vattenfall is one of the. It, Vattenfall was in, uh, was involved in their nuclear program, but as far as I'm aware, it's also tied up with other kinds of 
of electricity generation. Yeah. Do they make wind turbines as well? I think they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I came across Vattenfall because they they once took, they sued the whole of Germany for loss of profits when Germany closed its nuclear reactors down. <laughs> they, they took they took Germany to arbitration to, and, and won, as far as I know, and the whole of Germany had to pay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, have we covered the things that you were hoping we would cover? Um, we haven't talked about airplanes, but I'm, I'm not quite sure where airplanes come in all of this. Are there uh, are there hydrogen powered airplanes? Um, yeah, they are, there are in fact. Are there? Uh, they've, yeah, flown, well, they've flown some test flights, haven't they? Yeah, there's um, it was it was an interesting thing that I, I came across recently. This company Zero Avia, um, and they're working on a fuel cell airplane. And yeah, they have done a they have done a test flight, I believe. Um, so th this is this is different to what I think um, companies like Rolls Royce are working on, which is burning hydrogen in 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 a in a jet engine yeah so much more like you would with jet fuel but the zero avia people they're actually using a fuel cell to generate the electricity to power an electric plane basically that's pretty cool stuff that that would seem to be much more sensible because if you i mean i remember reading somewhere that if you burn hydrogen in a, a modified internal combustion engine for a car the problem is you, you need to get the same kind of um, range that you'd get out of a tank of petrol or diesel. You basically need to have a trailer of the size of your car that you're pulling behind you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hydrogen is a lot less energy dense than petroleum. Yeah. I mean, pretty much anything is. <laughs> yeah. So so there's no point in, in burning hydrogen in the kind of engine that you would burn kerosene or petrol or diesel in because mm. as you say you're going to need you'd need another jumbo jet behind you yeah you, you wouldn't think so hydrogen but in you, a fuel cell that would be fine wouldn't it because they're vastly more efficient yeah yeah they are but i mean you say that but lots of people are working on um hydrogen combustion in jet engines not only that but um, jcb um, are, they've developed a hydrogen combustion engine for all their construction equipment. Wow. Um, yeah, as they see that as a much more sensible route than um, than making the you know a battery powered digger. I think a lot of it is to do with re fast refueling and wanting it out on site working all the time. Um, uh, okay. But yeah, and then and then I guess they didn't go. Down, I don't know why they didn't go down a fuel cell route exactly. Maybe. It's like burning stuff. Who knows? <laughs> I have to look, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> the human proclivity I'm sure, is burning stuff. Yeah, we do like doing that as humans. I'm sure they have some reason behind it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, listen, thank you very much for coming on again. Um, we'll um, we'll see if we can get somebody from the government. I mean, I doubt they'll listen to us, but we can always ask. Yeah. And should, should we be lucky enough to get somebody to come on? Will you come and beat them up for us? <laughs> Mike, oh, I can try. It's a daunting prospect. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Yeah. Listen, well, I'll tell you what. I've, I've, um, I've put a link in the previous podcast, but I'll put, um, put a link to the Royal Society's report. The report. The report. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll ping you the um, what I found about about it's. Uh, I think it's a company called H Two Green Steel, and they've raised one point five billion for this. One gigawatt mm. electrolyzer. Yeah, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, have a little read of that. I'll ping. Uh, I'll I'll put um, a link to that as well. 
on our podcast. Brilliant. Thank you, Ian. Well, thanks for having me. A star again. I still don't know what kind of car I'm going to get next, though. <laughs> These <laughs> well, are probably... I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend a, a hydrogen fuel cell car simply because there's nowhere to refuel it. Right. Okay. So um, yeah, you'll be a bit stuck there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I can yet afford one of these newfangled electric ones. But I'd love to have one. But yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. that's the question. Yeah, everyone would love to have a, a clean car to show off to the friends, saying, "Look at me, I'm saving the planet." But who can afford it? Yeah, I can't. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Most of us can't afford it. And anyone who's in a terrace house, how are they going to charge it? You imagine a, a long terrace of 50 houses with <laughs> 50 extension cords coming out through the letterbox. Talk about trip hazard. I have seen that in London. Have <laughs> you really? Only in England. Good God. Anyway, listen, thanks. Thanks again for coming on in. Cheers, Ian. All right. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, if you could leave a review, and if you want to leave us uh, a comment, go to Substack, look up my name or Hyperland, and we'd love to hear what you thought. And of course, if you've got any ideas for things we should talk about, that would be great too. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Cheers. <laughs>